Hey, everybody. Welcome to Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Hello. Hello, Ladybug. How are you? I'm okay. Cool. Have you been watching The Last of Us? Uh, yes. Yes. Okay, so by the time this episode comes up out, it will probably be finished. But it is not finished right now, or at least I haven't finished it yet. It's so good. It's so good. In fact, <laughs> I want to give a shout out to my friend and colleague who watches the show, Cassidy Russell, because she said, how dare you and Shannon do a plant-based horror episode and not talk about <laughs> The Last of Us? Like, well, technically, it's, you know, it, it's a fungus, but I was like, it's a bacteria. She's like, it's a fungus. I'm like, yeah, fungus grows on tree. I'm like, listen, we can't cover every movie, every show. But <laughs> and also, it's not over. It's not over. And it's actually more sci-fi. But Agreed. It, but you're still giving her a shout out. Yeah, I'm giving her a shout out because she, <laughs> even though you obviously disagree, <laughs> she has a she, yeah, and she, um, she, she watches our show or listens to our show. I well, should say we will so. when it's over, and yeah. uh, we, you know, probably in April or May or something when when people have had a chance to finish watching it because it takes a minute, we will definitely talk about the whole thing. Yes, it's good. It's I just mean, really good. So if you're not on it, we're saying get on it. And I mean Bella Ramsey. Ugh. So she's good. going places. It's so good. They're all so good. It's just good. There's no denying it's good. That's true. All right. It's true. It's true. <laughs> I wanted to let you know, Kathy, that Fide, I think is how it's pronounced, Fide Alvarez, who directed Evil Dead and, and Don't Breathe, is writing and directing a brand new alien movie for Ridley Scott. I saw that. 20th Century Studios. I'm hopeful about it. With Kaylee Sp- Spaney, I think, the from The Craft Legacy and Pacific Rim Rising, is set to lead the cast. And then Isabella Merced, who's from Rosalind, has also joined the cast. <sighs> yeah, I'm, I, I thought of you when I saw that. There's a bunch of people. I, I mean, you know, I'm spec. You know, I'm hesitant. It's the ninth. Well, the last one didn't do well. It's the ninth movie in the in this film series. So we're getting to you know Friday the Thirteenth Halloween numbers here, but I'm always excited. I mean, there's also a planned Alien television series expected sometime in 2023. Uh, and this, you know, it's, it's a small screen thing. So all right, yeah. I'm I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to. It. I'm gonna give it a shot. The, 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 One of these days we'll do a whole Alien franchise. Sure, I know. We, we talk about that, and we've never done it, but we talk about it quite a bit, and we should. So maybe when this one comes out, sure, we'll do that. Start watching them now because there'll be ten of them. <laughs> I know. It's like when we've done all the other big series from back in the day. All those those are easier to blow through. They're sort of like less dense. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Halloween is a little dense, but Friday the Thirteenth, yeah, not so much. The other one I want to give a shot is Mike Flanagan has a story idea for the new Nightmare on Elm Street. Nice. So that'd be kind of a cool pairing. That would be cool. So I'd have hope for it. I would too. So what happened was, I think it was, who's, who are the two that put it together with Jason Blum? It was, uh, oh, it was Elijah Wood and Daniel Noah have paired together. They're, they're producing company Spectre Vision or whatever partnered with Blumhouse of course. Mm. And Mike Flanagan was like, wait, I have an idea. I have an idea. And Heather Langenkamp, as we know, who was in Midnight Club, there's a good chance that we might see a little Nancy come back. So I guess Mr. Flanagan has had ideas about the script for a while, but he, this is what he said. 
He said, one of the franchises on my list forever has been a Nightmare on Elm Street. Boy, that would be fun to work on. I have a whole take for it that I worked out a couple of years ago, and my understanding is the rights situation for that title is so fraught, no one knows who controls it, really, and no one knows who to pitch. So I keep saying to my agents, send me in on Nightmare on Elm Street, and they're like, we'd love to, but have no idea who who you should talk to. (laughs) And he says, and I've talked to, I've spent almost a year of my life with Heather Langenkamp, and we would talk about it. It's like nobody knows what to do. So he has a, hopefully they can figure it out. Cause I think he'd be, a, he'd have a really cool spin on this. Cause Absolutely. he's so creative. Absolutely. That'd be a lot of fun. I'd watch that for sure. <laughs> well, we watch all the things really. We do. But I'm excited for that. All right. So let's do, you know, a little thing we like to call. <laughs> for those of you who don't know, we do a little segment called horror facts with calf. That was gore. Where where she just sings metal. No. Gives me like five facts to try and guess. And then at the end of the show, she gives you the answer. So not only is it fun to harass me, but also you get to learn some horror facts. The first two questions are Silence of the Lambs questions. Okay. Around casting. Uh, thanks for the update. You're welcome. The first one is which 90s actor was supposed to be Hannibal Lecter? but pulled out because he had just finished another dark role. Got it. Number two, who was supposed to be Clarice Starling mm-hmm. in Silence of the Lambs? Okay. Those two actors, by the way, would have changed this entire film. Of course. The casting is so freaking important, yeah. man. Number three, the Hollywood Reporter published very thorough spoilers regarding this 1960s film despite the director's admirable attempts at keeping the project a secret. (laughs) Okay. Interesting. Looking forward to hearing what that is. No idea. Number four. Why do dogs like squeaky toys? Uh huh. <laughs> I'm gonna keep my answers to myself. <laughs> half the half the trouble with these is like I want to say something, but I'm like, no, that sounds like an answer. And then number five, two Scottish surgeons originally invented the chainsaw to assist in what? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Why? All right, we'll give it a <laughs> shot. <laughs> Thank you for that. If you guys know any of those, you know, write them down. Stay to the end of the show. See if you're right. Or, you know, not. Or not. Or just Google them and pretend. (laughs) All right. I wanted to mention some books real quick. I just finished a true crime. Well, (laughs) it's kind of a true crime book. It's called Hell's Half Acre. We have a true crime book club in our Discord, which is part of our Patreon membership which is only five bucks a month to be a part of the discord and be a part of the book club if you're interested. But the true crime book club is put on by our longtime patron pepper and she loves true crime. Totally a true crime goddess. She's always telling me stuff I don't know. So that's fantastic. She's like a little on the side source for the show for sure. And we talk about cases all the time, but so she started a book club kind of of less well-worn cases. So if you want to follow along from out there, we just finished a book called hell's half acre, the untold story of the benders America's first serial killer family. And then we had a little chat about that. It's by Susan Jonas. And here is my thought on this book. 
The reason why I laughed when I said it was true crime is that it is based on a real family around the turn of the 18th to 19, you know, around the, the end of the 1800s basically is when this was happening in Kansas. And they were called the Bender family and they were more well known as the bloody benders. They were a family of serial killers basically. And so you can imagine that that would be a damn interesting book. However, unfortunately, in my opinion, this book is not, it's not based on any of their accounts. So the thing about the Bender family is that there's not kind of an ending to this story because they, as my, from my understanding, they were not convicted. So, you know, the span of the crimes were only over a year from 1872 to 1873, but there were lots of victims. There was lots of stories told. There's lots of first person accounts from the people in the community. And unfortunately, when this author was, this author basically fictionalized it and, but it's, it reads like she created a narrative from what actually happened. Mm -hmm. But what I can tell you is that, that no, she didn't. A lot of it is inaccurate. A lot of it is not the truth. It's much more of a fictionalized story of what could have happened, except for it's not actually based in all of the facts that we do have. So there's like a lot of facts about this case that could have been used and crafted in there so that it was quote unquote accurate with what we know, and then you kind of narrate and create something on top of that. Oh. But that that's not what she did, and so I'm confused. But I will say that if you enjoy an American story, like in other words, that time period in, in that kind of area, Kansas, it is very, there is a lot of culture. So if you just want to spend time in that era, I can say that there was a lot that was very enjoyable about that because the cultural part and the massive amount of racism and the, the, how people conducted themselves and how families were put together and, and how things were going during that time. If you just want to live in that time period in that region, she did a great job with that. That was the most compelling part of this. And of course there's murder, murder, there's murder. So you can certainly, get that on if that's something you'd like to read about. But I, I'm, you know, I, I'm still looking, if you guys have a book about the Bender family that actually uses real account that you feel like would be better than this, I'm, I'm about it because it would be honestly an interesting episode. It's a very interesting story. I mean, they are a family of serial killers hmm. before we had that term. So they're interesting. But, interesting. You know, so that's my review of that book. I also finished Whispers in the Mist. Oh, was that the third book? Yeah, the third book in Darcy Coates' Black okay. Winter novel series. And we read the very first one for book club, actually, because we also have a horror book club that's part of our uh, Discord, which is part of the Patreon. So we have members in, in both book clubs, but... Whispers in the Mist was the third. So I went on to read the second one. I think Kathy did yeah, too. I did. And that was pretty good. Uh -huh. I actually kind of liked it better than I the did first. Too. Yep. And then I went on to the third one. And the third one has the best ratings on Goodreads, like the highest ratings the, of the whole the series. The second one or the third the one? The third oh, one wow. has the highest ratings okay. on Goodreads. And it's the longest. And man, was it a slog. Really? Whoosh. And it was everyone's favorite. I know. I mean, it was a lot of people's favorite. I know. I'm so confused. I wonder why. Did it say what, what people were liking about it? 
Uh, I don't know. They just loved it. Uh, you know, it, the, the reviews I read were just, they just love everything in the series. In other words, like, oh, I just love Doran and what's her face and Claire and they're so great and they're so amazing. And I have a feeling it's just like when you're into it and you want to live in that world, because books one and two are so good. Like when you want to live in that world, I mean, they had flaws. Don't get us wrong. Mm -hmm. There were slow parts and all that, but it's like a creature story. And I love that. And there's some great horror elements in the first two books. This one, I would say like the first 45% of it, I enjoyed maybe 40% because we were, there was something that happened at the end of book two that then got played out. And that was really cool and interesting. And then she did what she does, which is like, there's like 150 pages in the middle yeah, she does where they're that. just driving and traveling and like chapter after chapter of like this. They're inane, still on the same road. Yeah, inane conversation. It's like, dude, you so could have edited a lot of this out. It's interesting. And then the ending didn't really make me want to go on to the fourth, but the fourth is the last book i feel so you gotta complete it unfinished you gotta complete it if you gone that far it's a shorter one too but i'm not gonna do it right now I, like i needed a break between two and three i need a break but that's my that's my review two lukewarm well one lukewarm and one bad review <laughs> that's where i'm at all right what did you watch oh i don't know how to follow that ah come on I watched a movie called The Furies. Another, clearly I'm into the revenge fantasies lately. This <laughs> Last is, week you were due. Yeah, March, uh, this came out in 2020. Kidnapped and afraid, a woman finds herself fighting to stay alive as an unwilling participant in a deadly game where women are hunted by masked men. So I dug it. It started off as slow burn at the beginning. It's it's a hunting, It it's this, without giving too much away, it, it's these white collared dudes who have basically formulated a simulated hunting ground for women that they, you know, and I don't want to give it away, but at the end you figure out what this industry is and, and the main, the final girl really figures it out and she figures it out how to get out of there. And she has to go through quite a bit of pain to escape. Mm. I liked it. It was, I think just a, the gore. It was, it was way more violent than I thought it would be. Okay. And that um, was a good thing, it sounds like. It was a good thing because it was necessary and appropriate for what the film was. Yeah, it made sense. Because there are some scenes that are around mutilation, mm -hmm. which is important to the message of this movie. Got it. Um, someone even wrote as one of the reviews, as violent as it is beautiful. It was a nice surprise. It sounds like it. And the ending, some people thought the ending didn't land. I thought that it did, and I thought that as much as it was a, a slow burn, I thought it was pretty creative. And, you know, these revenge fantasies are starting to get more and more popular. And I think if they're done well, because there's so many of them, I, you have to be selective because some of them aren't great. Like uh, we had mentioned one a few weeks ago on the show. I can't remember what it was called now. It was flipping terrible. But this one, I liked it. I think it's worth a watch for sure. I'm glad. Yeah. So I watched Infinity Pool. Have you made it around? I have not, but I, I keep hearing really good things about it. Yeah, I mean, it's a very specific kind of movie. I have absolutely no idea if you will like it or not, so I'll be curious to see if you if you end up watching it at some point and, you know, sort of what your, what your take on it is because definitely different, and I think it's kind of 
it's kind of polarizing in a way for a lot of people, but this is Brandon Cronenberg's uh, newest mm-hmm. film that came out this year. Highly anticipated. Very highly anticipated, and it is getting good reviews. I mean, Mia Goth and Alexander Skarsgård are in this movie, and what I can say right out of the gate is no matter what you think of this movie, their performances are exceptional. That could be the only thing you come out of this movie liking. <laughs> if okay. You, if it's not your vibe, then, you know, they're awesome. There's no there's no denying it. So just watching them do what they do is is really great. And cool. and Mia is very creepy and uncomfortable in this movie. And Alex is delightful. <laughs> nice. <laughs> the first half of it is really captivating and it and it kind of goes into a, a kind of a different zone. But let me give you just a, a base of what this is about. So while staying at an isolated island resort, James and M are enjoying a perfect vacation of pristine beaches, exceptional staff, and soaking up the sun. But guided by the seductive and mysterious Gabby, they venture outside, which is played by Mia Goth. They venture outside the resort grounds and find themselves in a culture filled with violence, hedonism, and untold horror. So it's one of those like ill-equipped, you know, people on vacation. But it doesn't go, you know, the way that the ruins goes, or you know, it's not sort of a straight across the board and boom, boom, boom in the plot. It it and visually, it's very Cronenberg in the sense that like it's all red and there's lots of trippy visuals, and you know they do drugs at one point, so there's the tripping, literal tripping, and yeah, there's other people, and it's just got this vibe of so much creep. It's like this is so creepy. I'm going to watch it yeah, yeah, for next yeah. time and I'm going to let you know how I, okay. what I think because I've been wanting to see it and I don't want too much time to go by before I review it. Yeah. I mean, I'm here for you, Brandon. You know, like yeah. his, his filmmaking is, uh, I enjoy it and I just want him to keep doing it and it's, you know, it's better than his dad's crimes for crimes of the future. I can tell you that. Like I, okay. I did not really like that film. I will just say that there's a part where Mia Goth is saying, um, the name James over and over again in like the most lunatic way. And that's my dad's name. So <laughs> I just, now I hear every time I think of infinity bull, I think of her going Jane and it's so fucking creepy. You just, so like, anyway. that's my dad. So the movie is more sci-fi than horror. I will tell you that. So it is more sci-fi than horror. That's why you just never know if it's going to be somebody's bag. I feel like it was a bit too long. But the kind of batshit nightmare imagery and the performances and also the setup, the way they set it up, like the first half is so solid that it's really worth a watch just in his lineage of, you know, he's a chip off the old block, not surprising. So it's got some of that vibe. He's definitely got some of that influence. I mean, I liked Possessor, which is the other movie I've seen by him Mm -hmm. a whole lot better. I was looking at that one too. I'm like, maybe I watch both. Yeah, I liked it better. So maybe, you know, if you you, liked Possessor better. Yeah, I did. But but this one is kind of like Eyes Wide Shut and Possessor. Yeah, it looks like an Eyes Wide Shut. And a little bit of like a side of Mandy, you know, like Mm -hmm. a little a little bit. But Mandy, of course, goes way, way batshit crazy crazy in, in, in my opinion, but there are some moments in this where you're like, what, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> What's going on? Uh, as a side note, there are some brutal realities of human nature here. So psychologically speaking, I think it's an interesting, like I'll be look, looking forward to hearing what your take on is it psychologically there. There's this very powerful and manipulative 
manipulative system at work and there's sex and there's psychopathy and, you know, I, I like what's underneath this. In other words, this is really definitely talking about the brutal realities of human nature, but I just, uh, you know, it's uh, a bit bonkers. I think you'll like Mia a lot. That's, yeah. That's what I think. I like come both out of, of them. Yeah. I mean, I just, uh, her character is, is good. Could be, uh, one of our, could be an episode. Cool. <laughs> cool, cool. Right on. Do you mind if I mention a mental health piece? I mean, it's sort of like cult slash mental health. Sure. Yeah. I watched, um, it came out in 2021, but quite personal to me just because of, of what it was about. And I thought it was a well done documentary. It's called pray away. And it's actually a, a documentary around conversion camps. And uh, it's called, it's five evangelicals in the 1970s break away and form Exodus International, a group that claims that gay people can become straight through prayer and conversion therapy. So I know we talk about cults a lot on our true crime, kind of combining that with aspects of mental health. And for anybody out there who's interested or doesn't know much about the conversion camp movement. And obviously we even have some horror films now that are being made about this. I, I was, it was a really emotional watch. And I think that it speaks to like how much our internalized shame, whatever that level of marginalization might be, whether it's we're female or we're queer or a person of color, how society can really lead us to believe that there is something to fix. And that if we pray hard enough or we work hard enough that that can be removed. Mm -hmm. And so they go into the stories of like five different folks. Well, that's why it's emotional, right? It's personal. It's very personal. personal stories. And it talks about the ones who then felt like they betrayed their own community when they then stepped back and really committed to their authentic self. And we know in mental health that no matter what it is that you're that you're compartmentalizing or that you're avoiding the second that becomes into a conscious space and you're allowed to accept it as part of who you are, that authenticity allows us to remove a lot of the neuroses, right? So their testimonies and their stories are really, really, it's a, it's a very interesting documentary. And so is it like a bunch of episodes or it, yeah, it's a, no, it's one, sorry. It's an hour and 41 minutes long. So it's not very long. It's just, just that one and it's on Netflix and it came out in 2021. So for people who are interested in, cause there is a lot in, it, it's not one cult, but the idea of conversion camp is a cult. Yeah. And they talk about ex leaders and survivors that were both part of the queer community that eventually, I mean, went against their own people. And one of the guys talks about that, the guilt and shame he has about, you know, pathologizing his own people. And, and so anyway, I just thought it was really of one of the first really good films that nailed that issue. Great. Um, and I recommend it. Yeah. I know there's been a lot of docs, but none of them have really risen to the, mm -hmm. the top like that. Yeah. That's great. Thank you. I wanted to mention super quick before we do horror facts with Kath, this will be a quick one is that I finally saw the Jack in the box awakening, which is the second. Oh, and I know you watched it like a while ago, yeah. a million years ago. And I just wanted to tell you, I really liked the growling, creepy, scary Jack. Yeah. Um, but it was inside some kind of weird British drama. It was with like really cringy, <laughs> sweeping was. music. And for those of you who maybe don't remember Kathy's review, I'll just say like, it, <laughs> The British drama that was surrounding it just really didn't work for me. 
it was boring. A lot of it was boring. I don't remember what I said about it. I don't either. But that's why I'm saying like, maybe you don't remember what she said and you can go back and look at it. But I don't remember what she said either. But I, I feel like, you know, the mama's boy that gets like super mad at the ladies is like one of the characters. Yeah. And it's just kind of really boring. But I did give it two stars for growling Jack because Jack is really cool in this. He is. And he growls. Yeah, and I, do I remember enjoyed that. that. Yeah. He's really scary in this. There's several bits, moments, right, where he's really scary. But I, you know, I can't really recommend it just for that. But also, I know you guys probably just watch horror like we watch horror. So definitely give it a shot if you want to check out what Jack's doing. Let's get back to it. <laughs> I was late on that one. I that like, was scratched the, the rock- version. It was. It sounded like a bark. <laughs> All right, let's talk about our actors in Silence of the Lambs. So, <laughs> who was Han- who was supposed to be Hannibal and who was supposed to be Clarice? I really have oh, you no don't know? idea. So, I knew the second one. I didn't know the first one. So, Gene Hackman. Mm. And he turned on the role because he had just done Mississippi Burning. That, I've read that before. That's amazing. Okay. I, that sounds super familiar. He just would have been a really angry, pissed off Hannibal. I think he's a great actor. He but is, but I he's aggro. I don't know what he would have done. Uh, number two. Yeah. Uh, Who was supposed to be Clarice? Clarice was Michelle Pfeiffer. Yee. That would have been a horrible, I mean, I love you, Michelle Pfeiffer. I've waited on you. You're one of the most beautiful creatures I've ever seen. And I love your movies, but that would not have been a good choice. Yeah. That doesn't ring true for me. No. Uh, Hollywood Reporter published very thorough spoilers rec- regarding oh, no, that this 1960s awful. film, uh, despite the director's admirable attempts. At I don't know, but that's secret. awful. Who's the director first? Well, I'm going to give it away by telling you this. That's okay. Hitchcock. Oh, okay. Psycho. Oh, sure. So they published in the Hollywood Reporter a bunch of spoilers for the movie, like that it was his mom and blah, blah, blah. I don't know how far it went, but like I think it went was- way beyond what... They didn't want anything coming out about it. But he was cray. Yeah. Okay. That's a bummer. Such a good movie. I know. Why do dogs like squeaky toys? <laughs> well, I know they like to tear them apart. Yeah. But I don't know. They mimic the sound of prey. Oh, yeah. Well, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. What, kind of, what kind of prey squeaks? I don't know. Squirrels? Oh, I don't know. Okay. Yeah, sure. I don't really know. I mean, I've been around domesticated dogs for too long. I don't really know. I mean, I know that dogs, you know, wolves and coyotes and stuff will eat cats and, you know, all yeah. kinds of ass squirrels and My dog, rabbits. though, Belle, she's part terrier. And when she sees a squirrel, holy hell. Hell, even my cats want to chase the squirrels. It's like I mean, kryptonite. Poor squirrels. You know, <laughs> and they kind of sound like that. Yeah, they totally do. Okay, uh, Scottish- how do they sound? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Two Scottish surgeons originally invented the chainsaw to assist in what? Surgery? Childbirth. No, what? <laughs> what, are you, what? I'm sorry, huh? Open up that pelvis. Explain. Maybe to saw through the bone? I don't know. Mother of God. No. Clearly they were male because you don't need to go through that to get the baby out. It's called a vagina and it's muscle. Clearly a lot of mothers died. Yes. I mean, what? Okay. Now you need to tell me more stories about that because we should do an episode on all of the childbirth with cats. All of the torture devices. For childbirth? For anything, whatever. There's probably enough with just childbirth. I'm going to look up something called childbirth and chainsaws, and I'm going to okay, tell you more about it. Can't well, wait. Can I just tell you that it, 
You may. It was it was before they could do C sections. Ah! And every fetus had to go through the birth canal. Okay, uh, this has been an episode <laughs> of <Terrence>. Yeah. <laughs> My name is Shannon, and I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone.